Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. My name is Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me and listening wherever you may be around the world. If you like the content I create, please like, subscribe, leave a comment, and repost. It helps me grow my content as a person and as also as a content creator. Today is time for another author interview. I'm pleased to be joined by JT Greathouse, author of The Hand of the Sun King, one of my favorite books of 2021. This is book one in the Pact and Pattern series. JT, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to get to talk about my book a bit. <laughs> oh, the pleasure is all mine. And before we start, I'd just like to say congratulations on the upcoming release of book two in your series, The Gardens of Empire. It's set to be released in August of 2022. That must have been a big weight off your shoulders, and I can't wait to get my hands on it and read it. Yeah, um, the book was a lift. Like uh, I, One thing I, I don't think new authors are sort of prepared for is the difficulty of writing the second book. Um, I think, I mean, I had heard other people talk about like, yeah, the second book you write will be the hardest one you ever write. Um, or, or in terms of the second book you write under a publishing contract, I should clarify, will be the hardest book you ever write. And I'd always sort of, not really understood why, but it, it is really different. Like you had, I had five years basically between starting to work on Hand of the Sun King and it being published. So it felt very refined and like I had plenty of time to sort of muddle over questions and story problems and character stuff and figure out exactly how I wanted everything to go. But then writing the second one under a contract where I have like effectively 18 months to go from starting to write the draft of the book to actually having it uh, come out was very daunting. And I ended up having to like write, I wrote myself into a corner, had to rewrite half of the book. Uh, and it just was really stressful. Um, third one's going better working on it now, but the second I'm, you say it's, it must've been a weight off my shoulders. Absolutely. Yes. I'm so glad I'm done working on that book. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say you had a little bit of a um, second book, Slump, just figuring out the the plot and the pacing and what the characters are going to do as compared to book one. As you said, you had more time to write book one. Yeah, I think that's part of it. It's a more complicated book in a lot of ways. There's more going on. Um, the first book is very much just like a coming of age story um, about one character uh, kind of just finding his place in the world, right? And the, there's a plot, but it sort of moves and starts in sort of episodic way. Whereas the second book was a more plot-driven story, more moving parts. And so it was like a learning experience in that way. But it was also just getting the way it was written correct, like like on a paragraph by paragraph level, not having the time to kind of just refine exactly how every page of the book was going to be to the same extent was sort of stressful. But I, I mean, I think it turned out well. I'm excited to for people to start reading it and like getting some... Uh, audience responses and things like that. Um, I, I think it's better than the first one in some ways, but there are things that, that are very different. So I'm sort of interested to see, like, how do people react? Well, when I get my hands on it, I'll be sure to let you know a little bit of time till August, but fingers crossed, yeah. I can get an early copy of that. So before we go into the actual Hand of the Sun King, when did you start writing and what where did you get all the influences for for this book, so I, I took a little bit of a look at your profile. And it dates way back to when you were in your early early teens. Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, I, I was always a super creative little kid, right? Um, I was homeschooled mostly because my parents were 
not satisfied by the quality of the local elementary school. And they both, like my mom had a master's in education. My dad has a PhD in uh, chemical engineering. And so they were like, we can probably do a better job <laughs> than like the elementary school down the street with our little kids. And so they, and they, I think they did a great job, but that left me a lot of free time just kind of by myself or with my brothers um, reading a lot of books. I was like a really voracious reader from a young age, but also just like I would hang out in the backyard and, run around basically like imagining stuff. And my mom used to like call it my play world where I would go disappear for hours, um, just sort of, you know, imagining myself in, in the stories I was reading or the, the TV shows I was watching. And I didn't really start writing stories so much until I was like 10 or 11. Um, but I do have a couple of really strong early memories, but I was really into the Redwall books at the time and I changed all the characters to mice and I made their guns shoot sunflower seeds because I thought that that would be less offensive to my mom's sensibilities. And uh, that was like the first, that's my first really clear memory of writing something. But then as I got to be a teenager, um, I wrote a lot. Um, my English teacher in high school, after I started actually going to high school, suggested that I enter this writing contest through a local community college. I won that uh, in my category three years in a row. Um, so that was like when I kind of realized, oh, I'm actually quite good at this and I probably keep doing it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's really something I've been doing, funding to tell stories, wanting to engage with stories, writing fiction. Hand of the Sun King came about as like a confluence of a bunch of different influences, uh, mostly from when I was in college and some of the things that I was studying, um, some postmodern philosophy stuff, uh, Confucianism and Taoism in my um, history program I was doing, spent some time living in Beijing and visiting some old like Ming and Qing dynasty gardens that are still, you can still go to, they've been turned into like public parks. Uh, and all of these things kind of like gradually over the course of a few years coalesced into this idea for a story that explored some of those philosophical ideas, explored some of the sort of setting of sort of like late medieval China, although that's not really an accurate term, like the, basically the late Ming dynasty sort of cultural aesthetic um, that I, I really think is pretty cool. Um, and I just sort of like, it all sort of came together in a way where it felt like I was taking my entire college education and turning it into a novel. Um, it was kind of cool. Pretty fun. Now that I'm working on the third book, some of there, I think that there is a bit of a disconnect between what I'm writing now and what I would like to be writing because I'm working with ideas that I first had when I was like 24. And so it's like six years ago when I thought this was like the coolest thing to be working on. And now I have other story ideas, other concepts that I'd like to start working with. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of went off for a little bit there. <laughs> no, it's perfectly, perfectly fine. I, I enjoy hearing um, all the background about authors and how they, um, how they came to write the work that they currently are writing. But you are currently uh, as a teacher, as a day job. So um, teaching English to high school kids. So how much of that experience has like molded you into kind of like the author you are today? What little like secrets or hints or anything you could share <laughs> inspired you to be a better writer? I think teaching not a lot in the first book, because I started writing it before I became a teacher. But there's so the character of Koroha, who's the main character, Alder's tutor in the first book, like a lot of what's going on with his character now in, in the version of the book that was published are actually relatively late additions 
to the to the actual way that his character was written. And those did come about because of my experience of becoming a teacher and having a somewhat different perspective on education than I had when I wrote like the earliest drafts of the book. And that continues on into the second book, which I, I think explores some of my thoughts on education and, and my experience as a teacher a little more than the first book does. Um, like that thread continued in the second book in terms of like the imperial examination system, both a good thing and a bad thing, but also the way that we, that, that in this, this society, the way that they prepare uh, these relatively privileged people to take those examinations and, and become scholars and servants of the empire, that system itself is, is, has problems and, and Koroha as a character is sort of a product of those problems, but wants to try to fix them, perhaps in, in a misguided way. But being a teacher um, definitely informs my thinking about like some of those concepts, but also writing younger protagonists. Um, I would have actually written Alder somewhat differently, I think, if I had started the series now, because I just have a different perspective on what arrogant teenagers are actually like. Like the way that he's written in the book now is very much based on my own self-perception of being a very sort of smart, arrogant, teenager who's sort of had a brain too big for his own good in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that like it would be, would have, there are layers to that that could have been deeper or richer if I had, you know, been writing it as a 30 year old who'd been teaching for five years, as opposed to starting to write it and coming up with the character as a 24, 25 year old who was just about to start teaching. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And looking back yeah. on it, um, Listen, I listened to the audiobook of Hand of the Sun King, and the uh, narrator does a fantastic job. Just Alder's character, yeah, he's an exceptionally smart young man, a um, little bit too smart for his for his own good in some some instances. Um, yeah, just thinking of back on it, like if yeah, he probably doesn't understand like the people around his age how how like arrogant they could be, what hidden agendas they have. So it probably would have offered a different perspective. Um, never thought of it that way before. Yeah. And I think I would have written him more sympathetically actually, because the way he's written now, he, I think it, at times comes off as like, especially in the early parts of the book, he's, he's extremely arrogant and he treats some of the people around him very badly. And um I don't think I do a good enough job of, of unpacking some of the emotional content there of like why he does that. Like I knew from my own experience, having done that, some of what was going on, you know, as an arrogant young person, sometimes disrespecting older people who you think don't get it. Right. But now, now being the older person who gets disrespected, I have a different perspective on it where like, it's not, I, I can kind of see that a lot of the time that's coming from pain or that's coming from frustration with the fact that like you feel like you, should be branching out into the world. You should have more power in your situation than you actually do, given that you are very intelligent and very capable, but you're still young. Um, and I think that I would have liked to have captured a little bit more of that, particularly in like the section of the book when he's uh, learning from Hand Usher. Um, there are things there I could have done better or done more with now like that i i think with my perspective now i could have written a more interesting version of some of those scenes or some of those interactions but yeah well yeah hindsight is always 2020 it's like you could always go back and say oh i should have done it this way or this way but yeah the way it's written i think it's fantastic and um 
It's one Thank of those, those <laughs> my favorite, as I said, one of my favorite books of 2021, just itching to get my hands on the sequel. But yeah, so we'll see how, how that goes. So let's talk about the hand of the sun King. Um, the main character's name is Alder Wen. Um, he is a, he's a boy kind of divided into two worlds and that's the worlds of his parents. So his father is in the Assyrian empire, very much into, uh, in the emperor's service. And he has that side on, and he has that aspect on one side. And the other side, he has his, his mother's who's more on the resistance to the, to the empire and into like wild, wild gods and like wild magic, as we can see from the early chapters of that. Can you just talk a little bit about Alder as a character and the, how he's always being torn between these two worlds. I thought that was just fantastic. And we'll touch more about it as we go further. Yeah. Um, what are the, so I had the idea for writing a character like that um, when I was in college taking a, a class um, in the history department, which was, it was called senior seminar in history, uh, like a historiography and class. we were learning about different ways of approaching historical research and historical writing. Uh, and, and we read a lot of different theorists, but one that we read, two that we read, I should say, that were uh, meaningful to the book were Edward Said, who wrote the book Orientalism, which is one of the most influential texts. Edward Said was from Pakistan, uh, Britain. Um, this was during like the, the British colonial period. And so he has a lot of interesting perspective on like um, being from the, this one culture that's being ruled by and perceived and commented on, and in some ways almost defined by a second culture. Um, he kind of can can see how that works in a way that tension, right? Like pa Pakistan is one way for itself in its own sake, but it is perceived by and redefined by the colonial power that has conquered it. Pakistan equals own relationship to their culture. Um, anyway, it, I don't, we don't need to talk about it a ton, but that book. And then the other one <laughs> was Imagined Communities by Benedict Anderson, who's a, another person who is from a colonial background, uh, writing about the experience of being part of a nascent nationalist movement in a post-colonial country where they were trying to define what it meant to be part of their nationality in the aftermath of a country that had conquered their country, what their nationality even was. And it's, it's, it's like this interesting exploration of the tension of occupying a place within an empire that is being defined in large, not by itself, but by the external forces, by the empire. Right. And I wanted to write a character that was torn between a colonial, like a colonized place and an empire. Somebody who was like Benedict Anderson or Edward Said, somebody who was born a, a child of a colonized people, but educated by the empire that had done the colonizing and coming to serve that empire. Right. And so I, there are a lot of things that I find interesting about that. I think one, there's a natural sort of dramatic tension in the sense that Alder doesn't fit in in a lot of the spaces that he occupies, right? He's moving through this imperial world. He's making friends with people who are, who, who fit into it better than him, but have their own struggles. He will always sort of be questioned. His presence will always be challenged um, because he doesn't look like everybody else around him. And because his background carries with it these assumptions about like who the Nyeni are and what they're what they are like, right? So even though he is extremely refined and he's like a really competent imperial servant, in the section of the book when he goes to Anzabat and is like, for the first time, sort of functioning as a servant of the empire, he can't go five minutes without the other imperial servants and sorcerers commenting on the fact that he's Nyeni and like he's the first Nyeni hand of the emperor. 
And so even though, like at that point in the book, he really does want to work for the Empire. This is the piece chosen. He's constantly meeting that resistance and meeting that friction. And that starts to get him thinking about like, is, is do I actually want to serve this Empire? Because sure, like the Empire doesn't actually want me um, in a lot of ways. So I, I just, I, I had that idea for a character when I was in this, you know, history class in college, but I didn't actually have the story yet. Um, I just knew I wanted to write a character that had that tension. And then the idea of having him not only be a, a, a child from the colonized culture who goes on to serve the empire, but having him be, you know, half Nyeni, half Sienese, where it makes both, both of those trajectories problematic. He can't just go serve the rebellion either because they might question his presence there, right? Um, so it's, it's, you know, I, I just think it's interesting to have characters who don't naturally fit cleanly into a place in their world. It gives you interesting ways to explore the setting, interesting ways to explore different themes. Um, and, and I think good characters are always experiencing friction. They're always experiencing something that makes them uh, not fit in or something that, that forces them to think and, and consider changing whatever they're doing um, because it's not working well for them or because they're experiencing conflict of some kind, right? Not every story needs to be that way, but I like, I like stories like that, so. Yeah, and it does a great, great job with the conflict within Alder. But you take it one step further. It's not just him, ba him battling the cultures of his, his two parents. It's also the contrast in magic systems. And mm -hmm. there's going to be slightly, slightly into little, little spoilers, but not really because we will talk about it in the first, first chapter. The scene with Alder as a young kid with his with his grandmother, and, and mm -hmm. putting magic into his I believe it's his right hand, and then as he's going yeah. through the emperor, um, the exams, obviously he becomes uh, a hand of the Sun King. They stamp like magic into his left hand. So inside mm -hmm. himself, he has two contrasting types of magic systems, and and just the the conflict within himself and how it grows. I think that was just fascinating. Could you just talk a little bit about that? aspect and how yeah. that, that grew to be yeah so um the i don't know how much i want to say about the back like what's really going on with the magic in, the, right. in these books because it's something that gets further explored in book two and then book three as well right but the the basic idea of the magic system is that every culture in the world as a part of their culture has a different way of interacting with the magic right and so like the Nyeni and the Anzabadi and other cultures that have been conquered by the empire, most of them have these pacts with their gods that they participate in in order to get access to magic. So when Alder's grandmother takes him out into the woods and names him and later carves the witch marks into his hand, she's basically initiating him into that relationship with the gods to give him access to Nyeni magic. Um, the empire, um, slight spoilers, but like never had a pact with gods. What they have is they have a character, the, the emperor who is himself sort of worshiped as a God and he's been alive for like a couple thousand years. And so he's definitely like more powerful than your average person, but he sort of serves the function of, of a God in their society. But the way that the empire's magic works is they, when they conquer people, they take over their magic sort of, cut it away from its relationship to the gods and incorporate it into this canon of sorcery that the emperor himself is constantly transmitting to um, the people, the hands and the voices, the people who use magic on his behalf, right? Mm -hmm. And so the the mark that is stamped into all hand is the thing that connects him to the emperor to allow for imperial magic 
imperial sorcery to to reach him so that he can use it um and the two magics are very like experienced very differently right the the pact magic with the gods is a little bit less controlled um it's not entirely clear in the first book like where what the limits actually are of what those what that can do it just sort of there are a couple of things that his pact makes it easy for him to do um like conjuring fire and then turning into a bird <laughs> but uh the imperial magic is much more constrained where you it's not just like the emperor gives you this magic it's the emperor defines how you use it um you can't do anything with it other than what the emperor wants you to be able to do with it and part of this part of the like inspiration for this design comes again from like the post-colonial or post-modern um theory i was reading as a senior in college where that's kind of how empires naturally work they take things from the cultures that they conquer recontextualize them and redefine them to make them useful to the imperial project and then they give them to their servants to go out and use right like you know there are like lots of examples of this historically where you have a good example might be you know rome conquering its neighbors and then stealing essentially greek religion wholesale recontextualizing it to make it part of a narrative that's that sort of serves their imperial interests and then spreading it all over the world right um and making the emperor of rome part of the pantheon of greek gods to kind of lend a seat to the roman rule like that's the kind of magic system was actually the first magic system that i came up with for the book was the empire goes around and steals magic and then all the other ones were just like okay, here's a culture, what would be an interesting kind of magic for them to do or interesting things for them to be able to do with magic? And then I just gave them those things. And then Alder is also like, there's a tension there as well though, who really wants to understand the fundamental ways in which the magic works, right? He has an experience when he's a little kid where he tries to use magic before he really knows what he's doing and he messes up and almost dies. And that you know creates in him this desire to master that power, which to him means not just being able to do it, but understanding how it works so that he can never make that kind of mistake again. But the empire, because of the way the empire gives magic, he can never actually achieve that working for the empire because he will only ever have access to the magic the emperor gives him. If he wants to actually understand the fundamentals of magic, he has to get away from the sort of imperial system. So like that, that there's a character conflict there as well between him and the magic as the empire would have him use it, which I think is like one of the most interesting things about him as a character. So with uh, with Alder, you decided to write uh, Hand of the Sun King, and I'm assuming the rest of the series, but time will tell, in the first person. First person is my favorite type of uh, book to, to read. I think it's very personal. You get into the character's head, feel what he's feeling, see what he's seeing or she, mm -hmm. um, and you go from there. Was this always the the design of the story to do first person and would you say that it's more of uh, a difficult type of story to write as opposed to like third person however you wanted to write those um so yes the book was always in first person part of that was because like like you say i think first person i don't know that it makes it easier for the writer but i think it makes it easier for readers to get into the headspace of the character that they're reading right it's it's it makes the fact that this is being narrated to you by a character and everything that they're saying is is you know their perspective uh i think a little bit more front and center than third person 
Um, I have written a lot of short stories in third person and I, I find them sort of the same. I don't actually have much experiential difference in writing first versus third person in terms of like how hard or how easy it is for me to tell the story. But I think that you get a different impact on the reader depending on what you, on how you approach it, right? Like for, for example, I don't know if you've ever read the book of the new son by Gene Wolfe, um, but like in those books, Severian, the main character who's narrating the story to you, the fact that he's the one telling you the story is really important. You couldn't, I think, effectively write the book of the new son in third person. It wouldn't be the same. Um, it would, there would be something significant missing there. And I want to think the same is true of the hand of the sun King, where if I had written it in third person, the fact that it's Alder telling you a story and almost like trying to justify some of his decisions would be lost. That said, like the second book is not entirely in first person um, because it's not entirely about Alder anymore, but he is still the one telling the story. So he tells his parts in first person still, and then he's, he tells you about things that are going on with other characters elsewhere in the world in third person because he wasn't there when it happened, right? He can only relay it to you sort of secondhand. And I, and I think that that's kind of an interesting that I, I'm, that's one of the things I'm curious to see how people react to with the second book is some of the decisions I made about like some of those, you know, fundamentals of the way the story is told might be off-putting for some people or people might pick up on what I'm trying to put down, which is like Alder's the one telling you this story. You can't necessarily trust what he's saying about all of these other characters 100%. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to talk too much about that because I it might spoil things for the second book. But um yeah, I, I think Alder's story was always supposed to be in first person. I don't know that I could have done it any other way. But that's not necessarily because I find it easier to write in first person. It's just like that was part of the, the book. Part of the book was his personality, I guess. Yeah, it's actually interesting. You say uh, that book two, it's his story is in first person. And then the other characters are being told from him, but in the third person. I think I've read, I don't know if you read Andrea Stewart's um, Bone, Shard, uh, yeah. Bone Shard Daughter. That, she does something similar to that with her two yep. main characters. So I'm used to that. I like that type of uh, storytelling. So I can't wait to, can't wait to read uh, The Gardens of Empire. Um, in terms of Gene Wolfe, I have read uh, Shadow of the Torturer, just the first book, and I enjoyed mm. it. It just it's a it's a different type of writing style that it felt a little bit I don't know a little bit slow and dry for me. But I want to get back yeah. and give it another sh shot because it it was written long ago. But I do have his um, the night uh, book which I have and I've actually started reading. It's actually really good. So looking to get back on yeah. that both train. So he's one of my favorites, and like I, the book of the new sun is written in a very weird way. Um, it is dry. It's very baroque, but it's it's doing that on purpose. And like, I think that if you keep going, you'll start to kind of figure out that part of the way that it's written is a reflection of the main character's idiosyncrasies and sort of like weird personality. Um, but anyway, I, Wolf is great. I, I think he's probably, if not the most skilled in science fiction, like ever. Always looking for more science fiction um, authors to, to read. It's not one that I'm Typically science fiction books are either hit or miss for me. It's not really, uh, it's either I love it or I just don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've really, I recently, about a year ago, read Hyperion for the first time. And I absolutely That's loved it. One. It's one of the best science yeah. fiction books I think ever written. And I think I've ever seen. Um, so always on the lookout for 
more of those types of stories. So definitely going to look at for Gene Wolfe again. Yeah. So with that being said, what are you currently um, reading now, specifically either in the self-publishing or in the in the main publishing, science fiction and fantasy? What, are, what do you got under your belt? Yeah, so I'm currently in the middle of reading two different uh, fantasy novels. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of The First Binding by R.R. Verdi. Uh, and I've been working my way through that, but it is very long. It's 900 pages. And I, you know, I like really long books, but I sometimes I'll get partway into one and be like, okay, I need to take a break from this. I'm not really like enjoying it that much just because it's, you know, it's a long book. And, it, and I had this experience when I was rereading some of the Wheel of Time earlier where... I feel like with the weaknesses of longer books for me tend to be that they, they the first third is usually not that interesting or it's like a lot of setup. You kind of get a sense of the world, but it's really hard, I think, to write a 900 page book and keep it really engaging the whole time. So usually the way it works is I'll start reading something and it'll take me like weeks to get through the first third first half of a really long book like that but then like at some point it clicked i'm kind of working my way the first half of that while i'm reading um the god is not willing by steven erickson um which is the newest book in the malazan setting or malazan setting uh and it's really good actually like i'm already kind of a huge steven erickson fan and i had read his previous sort of spin-off series the carcanus trilogy um, or at least the first two, because the third one's not out yet. And I wasn't as into those as I was the Malazan main series, the Book of the Fallen. Like, they just weren't working as well for me. Uh, but this one, The God is Not Willing, is is really well done. The, it's a little bit more, like, narrow in focus. Uh, there's, like, a clear main character that you're following, which is sort of unique for Malazan. It usually doesn't do that. But it's, like, really working. I really care about this, like, guy who uh, the, the book is mostly about in a way that I haven't really connected with a Malazan character before. Um, and then that on top of the really amazing setting and Erickson's really, really solid writing is just making it a super fun reading experience. So those are kind of the two things I'm working on right now. And then I've, I've always got a huge pile of stuff I want to get to, <laughs> but yeah, you know how that is. Yeah. It's a never ending uh, cycle. Um, I do have also an ARC of the first binding looking to start that in the next month or so. Um, God is not willing. I've read that and I absolutely loved it. So I'm a huge yeah. um, Malazan uh, Book of the Fallen fan. If you like Mal Malazan Book of the Fallen, I think you'll like The Wars of Light and Shadow by Jani Wirtz. I've read the whole series. I have read the, yeah, I read the first book in that like a year ago. Um, and I just haven't continued with it for whatever reason. Like I had other stuff come up that I was reading. But it was the first one was really solid. And I've heard that it just keeps getting better and more interesting as it goes on. So yes. I'm, that, those I'm are... Yeah, those are like definitely on my big stack. <laughs> it's a stack that keeps on keeps on growing. It's never it's never enough. Yeah. yeah. So with that, I think we've gone for a very long time. Why don't we uh, wrap up? So why don't we tell uh, our audience where they can reach you on Twitter, Facebook, your your website, and uh, when we can look forward to your next entry. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Jeremy T E G. Um, that's where I'm most active, certainly on social media. Uh, I have a website, which is tgreathouse.com. I don't really update it that often, although I'm more. Uh, and then you can buy Hand of the Sun King pretty much wherever books are sold. It's a little harder to get your hands on it in like bookstores because it is 
sort of self-published. It's self-published with assistance from my agency in the United States. And then Galantz publishes it in the UK and Commonwealth. So if you're in England, it's really easy to find. <laughs> uh, stateside, John's your best, prefer to go that route. Um, yeah, and then, uh, The Garden of Empire, book two, is all locked and loaded and ready to come out in August. I, I think August 4th is the planned release date. And then hopefully I'll have the third one pretty much worked out in terms of like figuring out uh, when we're going to be releasing that. My goal would be a year from now. So that, so, you know, the whole thing would be done by the end of 2023, but uh, we'll see, you know, see how that goes. Well, we're very much looking forward to that. So thank you so much for joining me and I hope you have the great rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cheers.